You're listening to Selfish. This is where we bring self-care and bravery together to encourage you to follow your dreams. Here's your host, your favorite selfish enthusiast, Allie Hembree-Martin. Abby came and tells her journey into discovering her gifts, having the courage to listen to those gifts, and how she uses them to bless others. Abby, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. I'm so excited for our conversation. I am too. Hey, Allie, it's great to see you, or at least hear you. Yes. So first, tell us about yourself. So don't laugh. This question actually makes me hyperventilate. It seems (laughs) simple, but I always feel like I'm going to get it wrong because it's actually not an easy answer. Labels get tricky, and here's a few that describe me. I'm an artist, author, clairvoyant, philanthropist, healer, seeker, parent, and child. At 58, I finally have decided I'm just a work in progress. So you shared with me that you went through a spiritual storm. Talk to us about this, and that will kind of set the ground for our conversation today. And that's a great place to start, because even as I get into the storm, I have to set the stage. Serendipity has played a role in my life since literally the day I was born. I'm named after my grandfather, and he died a year before I was born. His favorite day of the year was St. Patrick's Day, and that was kind of odd because we're Jewish, but this was his favorite day of the year, and I am born on St. Patrick's Day. So that sort of sets the stage for a lot of crazy things happening to me. Um, when I was younger, mystical things would always sort of come my way. My favorite TV show was Bewitched. We actually named our daughter after uh, the lead player, Samantha. So we sort of start to see things happening to me and me not really having an understanding of where it was coming from and why. But I didn't really take it you know, too seriously until 2014. And my normal awareness of serendipity became heightened to a place that was starting to get uncomfortable. At the time, my son Chad and I were working on an extension of his bar mitzvah project, which was regarding hunger relief in Kentucky. And to explain a little bit of what we did is we didn't do any programming. We raised awareness and funding for existing organizations. So we have this pretty big or go home mentality and our work actually made its way to Frankfurt. And we are thrilled to say that we were part of uh, being instructed and creating the first hunger relief program in Kentucky, which was just huge and an amazing process and thrilling to be part of something at that um, early stages of the work in Kentucky. At the same time, we were pushing for another initiative to make its way onto the horizon, a license plate for hunger relief, because although we had government funding, it was precarious. We only had it known for two years. We weren't sure if it would be a sustainable or a function for that program. So we thought we'd do a license plate, which would be a means of ongoing uh, funding for hunger relief. And we had an intended charity. It's the Umbrella Organization for Dare to Care. We were working very closely with them. Once they got the government funding to go to them, they were afraid to also have the license plate go to them too. So they asked us to become our own 501c3 which we did. And after years of preparing to push this license plate through and working with the DMV, the DMV sort of winked at us and said that this was going to go through and everything was going to be fine. And when we got to the gate, they rejected the project. It was a crushing blow that actually happened on my birthday, March, 2015. We had the state involved 
in it. We had Chad School involved in it. We had Dare to Care involved in it. Everybody was so excited for us to be this mom and son who made this happen for Kentucky. And then it was not meant to be. So Chad took the next day off of school. We went to the North End Cafe to regroup. Uh, we made arrangements to give the $22,500 that we had raised for the plate to happen to the umbrella organization for Dare to Care. And on the way back home from lunch, we were stopped at a traffic light at Holiday Manor, and the car in front of us had the license plate, 501c3. Okay. Whoa. We were pretty freaked out. Okay. okay. I know, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh -huh. to, like, I'm with you. We're like the line, and you're like, wait, what? We took a picture. I looked at Chad, and I'm like, the universe is trying to communicate something to us. And by that point, like I said, by 2014, I was starting to like dip my toe into the water. I'm like, there is something going on here and it is bigger than the two of us. Let's see where it goes. So from that moment, license plates, horoscopes, TV clips, songs, you name it, the universe was trying to get my attention. And I'm not going to lie. I was terrified. It felt like I had stepped into the twilight zone and I really didn't know what to do with it. Um, so, you know, my family really supported me. A couple of healers came in my way to various mediums to kind of help me explain the story. And everything that happened was just a long list of serendipity. And by the time I went um, about a few months more out with it, I started to realize that I'm a clairvoyant. And once I got comfortable, or at least the beginnings of being comfortable, I don't know if you're ever comfortable with it. Uh, I started to lean in and have some understanding, A, why the project ended so abruptly is Chad and I had completed our obligation to hunger of body, and now we were ready to move on to body, mind, and soul. And so for the two of us, it's manifested in different ways. For me, it was the creation of my identity as Flash Mom, and for Chad, it's still unfolding, but um, it's similar in purpose, but it's uh, relevant to who he is as an individual, which I think is going to have a role of leadership somewhere in the future. Future. Wow. Now, your photography work works into this story as well. So talk to us about that. And that's fun because that brings in the introduction of my other child, which is Samantha. So Samantha was uh, during all of this time at Indiana University and she was studying marketing. So she became my marketing guru. And um, while Chad Moore was my partner in crime and he had Help me edit my book and sort of help me be the story and tell the story. Samantha was helping us kind of figure out how to market it and get it, you know, somewhere out in, in the public. So um, when I first started write, writing, these phrases would just be pouring out of me and I didn't really know what to do with them. So I'm kind of a creative person. So what I would do is I would take the writing and I would try to give it an image to represent what I was writing. And at the time, the sky happened to mean something very special to me. So I put every image that I pulled off of the internet on the sky. And so by January of 2016, I was all excited. And my kids and I were sitting around, it was like New Year's Day. And I'm like, okay, I'm ready to launch my blog. And they saw all the pictures that I had created with each of my writings. They're like, mom, you could do this, like just to get you started, but you can't really launch this because it's copyright infringement. I was like, oh, I didn't really think about that. <laughs> Even if I said that they were somebody else's work, uh, it wasn't mine. So I said, well, what if I use myself as the image? And you have to understand, I'm literally the world's worst photographer, and I can't stand getting my picture taken. But I figured I'd take one for the team, and I would become the artistic and spiritual medium. So that's what happened with the photographs that then wound up coming with words, and then the words wound up becoming my first book. Uh, so 
I felt like now I had some good momentum behind me and I wanted all of this work to create a movement that would be like a flash mob and suddenly everybody would be on my page and we would create this movement to put the human back into humanity. So I was launching with that in mind and I was like, that's it, I'm a flash mob. And Samantha looked at me and she goes, no, no mom, you're flash mom. And so I became the camera. And then another friend of mine I was working with, he's like, you are the camera. You're asking us all to look at the world from its broadest perspective. And thus the photography and the correlation with the camera came to be. Oh, that's so cool. I love that. It's just a different way of thinking about, um, you know, photographs and a camera. Exactly. And it becomes my, you know, my logo and a camera is in each and every one of my works. So whether it's the art, whether it's the digital photography or um, the camera taking a photograph of me, it, it, um, it's my story. It all works together. Yes. So beyond that, you know, you did mention you're a clairvoyant and you've been able to use your psychic abilities to help others unleash that, that higher calling that's out there. So talk to us about how you're able to do that. So really what happens is just, just in conversations for now. I mean, I have my books and I have my art and my blog and my very limited Instagram to kind of get out there and start saying, hi, I'm here. Here's my story. And when I, whether it's my art or my words, I'm always using it in the essence of telling a story, just like in this conversation, we're telling a story. And at first it felt like I was standing still, that all I was doing was telling my story. And then it occurred to me, that's the story. By me reaching out, whether it's in conversation or somebody touching my work, we're already starting that first bridge to bringing you into higher self. And that's really what it's just become. A, a many, many, many conversations and one conversation leads to another conversation or somebody to read the books and have a conversation back with me. It's been a very interesting journey watching it just unfold in that way and having the patience to let it unfold that way, which is not always easy. Now, do you have a favorite success story that you can share with us? So, yes, I think it's less of a success story, but more of a story that showcases what I can do that will sort of round out that me being the walking counselor that I talked about just a minute ago. So as I am this walking counselor, energy finds me, we talk about problems, and somehow through my ability to connect in the here and now and from the beyond, it starts taking on a life of its own. And one person I work particularly closely with is my good friend, Danny Waldridge from Literally Divinity Catering. And as Danny was part of the story all the way along, and in 2014, when we first started working together, I was doing some marketing for her. The spiritual world really grabbed both of us and sort of said, girls, wake up. Me to my clairvoyance, she is an empath, which means she can take on the world and feel it very strongly. So she's sometimes able to channel for me and me also for her. Uh, when we sit together and we're just talking about subjects, she's sort of my scribe. And then like wisdom will start just pouring out of me and she'll start documenting it. But one story she wasn't ready to share for me, which was a real block for her, is she lost a brother when she was 19 and he was 17. And she has always said that this story has affected her whole life. And when we were together, she was experiencing a lot of other loss. And so so this loss from her childhood became compounded. But Danny, why don't you just tell me what happened? And she really never could. She's like, Abby, it was just awful, and I really can't talk about it. So uh, again, back in March, again, right around my birthday, a couple 
couple of years ago, I called her. I don't know what I was frustrated with that day, but I'm like, hey, you want to just have a glass of wine and I'll come over and we'll, we'll just throw our stories out on the table. And she's like, sure, come on over. I'm getting ready to go to dinner with my family, but let's hang out. Well, she was going to dinner with her family. The day I had picked was the day that would have been her brother's 45th birthday. So now we're getting closer to why her brother, who passed Cal, to, to his energy, but she had never talked about it. So we share a glass of wine, and finally she just looks at me, and tears are streaming down her face. And she's like, Abby, I feel I'm responsible for Cal's death. And I'm like, Danny, that's not possible. She's like, no, it is. He asked me to drive him the night that he died, and I said I was too tired. And she was very responsible. Their parents had had a messy divorce, and so she was kind of like his other mother, and she was just tired. She was 19, he was 17. He took his motorcycle instead, and he didn't come back. And the mm. minute he walked up, door she knew he wasn't coming back so she you know for all these years later had had the guilt of that wow. resting on her and as I said both of us are just you know, tears are streaming down her face and I'm like Danny that you're not responsible that's the universe talks to us in all sorts of ways you can't carry that you just can't even the person who hit his motorcycle isn't responsible stuff happens and no matter where we are in the journey, we just have to accept that that's what happened. So we say goodnight to each other. She goes her way to her celebration. I go home. I do a lot of work in the middle of the night, and this night was no exception. I couldn't sleep. And if one, if after we speak, you want to follow along, I, I blog about this in my December blog, and I show you the pictures of what transpired in that 24 hours for Danny and I. So obviously I'm a poet if you've looked at any of my words. And so I come up with this poem that's to Danny telling her that she's a beautiful light and that she has to let it go and that the road is hers to walk, but that she has to start walking it and that by holding this pain, she's not growing as an individual. So it's more in more poetic form. I go to sign it and I can't sign it. I'm going to sign it. Abby, no dice. Flash mom, no dice. Finally, I just sign it me. So by this point, it's like four in the morning and I start to realize that I think Kel is trying to communicate with Danny. So I let it go. I decide, well, I like to put stuff in a unique way of presentation, sometimes in a picture frame if it's something that I've written. So I go downstairs to the sea of picture frames I have, and my hands like recoil from the box. It is 110% not in a picture frame. And I've learned to recognize when something is pulling me towards something or it's a strong inversion. I'm like, okay, that's another message. So I go back to sleep because I'm really tired. I'm like, you know what? I think I'm just going to put this on a $2 bill. Why a $2 bill, you ask? Yeah. I have absolutely, you know, where did that come from? That's a pretty strange one. So like, okay, it's $2 bill. And I, I sometimes give them for gifts, for Barn Bat Mitzvah gifts. It's a, it winds up adding up to a number that's special in my faith. So it's become a thing between us. I have one left. So I have horrible handwriting. I realize I have to write this on the bill so that the ink indelibly describes the words that I have written to her. So it looks like chicken scratch. I take the words that I have had printed out for her and they fit exactly on the other side of the bill. Now I'm like, okay, this must go on a flower pick with a purple flower that's something of significance to Danny and I, and I'll give it to her in the morning. I fall asleep, I wake up, I'm like, she wouldn't have been there early anyway, it's no problem. I wind up going to her shop at 11 o'clock in the morning at exactly the same time she walks in the door. Her shop is pandemonium, there was a pipe burst, people are flying everywhere. She looks at me, she looks at the flower and the $2 bill and she turns sheet white. And I'm like, Danny, did Cal collect $2 bills? She said, indeed he did. Collecting $2 bills was his thing. So much so wow. that at his funeral, her mother gave her, her older brother, Chad, and all of their friends 
a $2 bill from Chad's collection in a picture frame. And that is why be in a picture frame because that would signify what had already been. And this needed to signify what could be when she let go of the guilt. And as we carried on a little further at the end of the story, the next day she called me and she said, you know, I was relaying that story to my girls and I went back to Cal's service and I realized the song that we played was Gorky Park's Try to Find Me. And we did. We found Cal. Pretty hard to dispute uh, the ability of clairvoyance Mm. and connection. And a nice thing for me to say at this moment in time in our conversation is clairvoyance It's just like being able to sing. So much has been put on this as being occult, witchcraft, weird, mysticisms in religion that we don't know. And many of the mystical uh, applications in our religions, religions try to squash because they got towards universal truth. So they're often the sidebar of our religions, not the main story to our religions. And at the end of the day, from my personal perspective, religion is really just heritage. We're all living the same story, but we do a beautiful heritage that connects us in through traditions and practices that are interesting, but when they're being used to separate us from each other, it diffuses the point. So this ability of clairvoyance, of song, of science, of all of these things that we do to explore the world at large are on more equal footing. The scientific and the spiritual are, are the same cloth. So it gives it... I hopefully in my words and my very practical application of what I can do will make this more comfortable for people because we're all becoming more awake to this gift. It's literally part of our DNA. We before thought it was our junk DNA, but now you hear all the signs of gut, serendipity, intuition, empathy. That is the beginning of our sixth sense. That is some levels of clairvoyance. So of course, just like anything else, some of us are going to be able to do it in a way that offers application. So how do you overcome those skeptics that are out there that do question your ability? And that was a hard one. Um, And I have my family reminding me daily to go with patience and with humor. You don't go at it by trying to convince them of something that they don't want to believe, which is first exactly what I thought I was here to do. You know, if I say it louder? Will they hear me any better? And the answer to that question is no. It, it makes it uncomfortable for both of us. So by realizing when somebody gives me a sign of disbelief or, you know, dismissal of what I'm doing and kind of pats me on the head and tells me to talk to my fairies, uh, which can be awful, uh, I just walk away now. I just like, you know, that's all right. Sometimes I'll say something funny. I'm like, well, you know me. It's just me and the beyond hanging out here doing our thing. I'll make a joke of it and we'll move on to something that is more in the here and now. And I found whether it's a stranger or a friend and we have that kind of encounter of disbelief, a lot of times by me not going for the jugular and saying, hear me, listen to what I can do, I find they come back. And they're like, so remember when you said that or remember when you wrote about this? I'd like to maybe talk to you a little bit more about that. And so it it gives open doors. And I found it with friends and and a few family members who have circled back and said, wow, I'm seeing it through a different lens. Can you talk to me more about it? And and really, they're just not worth your energy to try to fight that battle. You know, it's it's a good way of saying, I mean, I don't know if it's not worth my energy. It's not a good use of energy Mm -hmm. for them, for me. Yes. And And even coming up with that, because otherwise, when you start to say, it kind of from the other vantage point, which is exactly the first place I was going, 
it kind of dismisses both of us. And so really staying in, it's not a good use of energy, has been a better way for me to think about it and knowing that it goes long. And because otherwise then I get caught in the same judgment and then I get caught and you know, I'm human too. And I do get caught in judgment and I do get caught in frustration. But, you know, I've been doing this now for five years and the more that I can pull back my own camera on myself and, and look at it through a different lens and saying, you know, for me to have patience and compassion for where they're at in their story and really look at their story and have some understanding. And, you know, some of those people have been the people closest to me. So it's been hard. Mm. Uh, it's been very, very hard because uh, I think sometimes, you know, it's easy to sometimes talk to a stranger about something. You know, they're either going to get it or they're not, but it's not personal, right? Or at least it has a different level of less personal attachment. But when it's friends and family, it has a lot of personal attachment. So I think looking at that through a different lens and not getting mad at them because they didn't understand it and not getting mad at myself because I couldn't explain it in the right way, just sort of saying, you know, again, going back to that patience and humor and saying energy will meet the energy when it's ready. Hmm. And really, you know, you have to, when you're sharing your story, when you're sharing the stories and the books that you've written, you know, you have to be compelled by something to want to tell these stories because you, you know, you have to assume you're going to be met with some type of resistance. You know, why have you decided to go out and, and tell your stories? Yeah. So that... That is like the episode. That, that is the that is the big question. Uh, why would I put myself so personally out on the line um, to share in such a personal way? And what really happened is I couldn't not tell it. And I've heard so many other authors. One was actually on your show and said, "When you start doing this, it just happens. It pours out of you. You have no intention of being an author or telling your story. And the next you think you know you can't not do it." So, you know, I when I first started with the blog, it was a personal thing and just doing it. And all my two mediums that I was working with at the time kept saying that my story and the writing of my story was how I was going to express it. And I just kept rolling my eyes at them and saying, don't be ridiculous. Why would I ever do that? Like, who in their right mind would put themselves through that? And it really became to that, like, you know, come to Jesus moment, for lack of a better word. I had no way not to. And as I learned, as I went along the way, that by being brave enough, and being vulnerable enough to share my story as a coming out story, as coming out as this mystic, as my truest self, it gives other people strength to look at their story and come out as who they really are. Uh, a story very close to my heart um, for so many people in my life. I would like to say it's really time for us all to come out and for us all to start ju stop judging people and start looking, being able to be honest and being able to say who we really are, because that is the only way that we are going to have the capacity to move forward to the very hard work we have of the future, which is meeting ourselves where we are at and letting each other be who we are. Yeah, I definitely agree. Bravery is contagious. And when you see someone else being brave and telling their story, uh, gives you a little bit more ability to do it yourself. So uh, over time, you know, those all add up. So I'm I'm really glad that you have come out and told your story um, and are continuing to do so. Thank you. So what are your favorite ways to be selfish? And obviously we're looking at the word selfish in a positive light. I love that you turned, I love that your podcast is selfish because that's like my new favorite word to use is that we need <laughs> selfish as in self-fulfilling self-kind that is a how we speak to ourselves is the most important thing we can do and how we are to ourselves if we 
can treat ourselves with kindness, sometimes with the kindness we offer others and don't always show to ourselves. So for me, my selfish time is quiet time. After hearing me speak and ramble on, you probably think that I am a huge extrovert. And if you met me, you would probably still think the same thing. But as my family will be true to tell, I actually have a huge introverted side and I get really quiet. I sort of have two speeds, one very on and one very off. So when I'm off, um, I'm off the radar Regrouping, I meditate in a very unusual way, in a way sometimes even when I'm writing, I'm meditating, or if I'm reading something, even watching some shows that I find of interest where I can kind of suspend my mind and get into beyond the workings of it and some other good stuff that happens behind all of the engines that we can feel and let that flow happen for myself. Uh, that's where, where I'm selfish. Is there anything you wish you could be doing more? No, and that is a tough lesson to learn. Mm. I realize that question is kind of, it's a tricky question. <laughs> so when you say, could you be doing more, that inherently implies that what you are doing is less. So if I look at it from a very broad perspective as I do, I have to think less about doing more and more about staying in flow and being present and prepared for opportunity. And I'll tell you what, every time I forget that lesson, the universe trips me up and says, remember flow. And I'm like, oh yeah, flow. I'm going to go back into my land of flow and not more. So uh, I guess I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing at this moment in time. Yes. I love that. It's a great way to, to look at that question. What is next for Abby? So next is exciting. Uh, in the land of flow, I have had the opportunity uh, to continue my work with my blog and my art because those two are absolutely flow. And that was my, I was actually instructed by the universe that once I got the methodology of putting things out there, that I'm to let the wisdom flow in and send it back out. So that's what I'm doing with my blog and my art. Um, in the here and now, it's taken me to partner with the Pete Foundation, which is an organization to prevent youth suicide. Our relationship with one another is vested in serendipity, and I met the founders of the organization at an event for Jennifer Lawrence Power of One a few years ago. We were seated at the same table, and their story is one of huge loss. Uh, the mother lost her son, and the sister involved in the organization lost her brother. And coincidentally or not, I wind up playing painting with the aunt and I came to know the organization when I saw a beautiful picture that she had of two boys with their arms around each other just looking at the back of them and I asked if they were her children and she said no it was her nephew one that uh, she had lost to suicide so recently I've become involved in their organization helping them tell their world and help word and helping them prevent youth suicide which has led me to doing um developing a self-actualization program with middle schoolers that I'm just starting with some local educators. And at first I thought my work was really geared towards uh, uh, the college age student. And I'm now being encouraged to share my work with middle schoolers because that is the most vulnerable and formative time of your life. And we, a lot of times kind of pat you on the head and say, boys will be boys, girls will be girls. You're fine. You're young. Everybody hated middle school. You will too. And we don't really address the things that you are very ready to address, that you are experiencing and feeling and not knowing what to do with. And with these new gifts that I'm saying are happening in the here and now, especially for Gen Z with ability of clairvoyance and more understanding of empathy and um, gut and intuition. And I, they're sort of called the snowflake generation. Everybody thinks they're a bunch of people that are just kind of whining and they're not whining. 
saying, they're saying, I feel the world so deeply. Can somebody give me some tools to help me navigate the waters that we are in now moving forward? So directed to them um, at lower, lower age levels, I think will be a nice way to uh, put my work out there in the universe. And then very lastly, I have an exciting show coming up in D.C. at the end of October and beginning of November called Superfine D.C., where I get to show my art for the first time. You have so much going on. I love it. And Abby, keep being brave because just like you said, it will encourage others to be brave. Um, so we will keep an eye on what is to come for you. So thank you so much for talking with me today. Thanks, Sally. It's been terrific. Like what you just heard? Visit us at SelfishThePodcast.com. Subscribe and leave a review on iTunes today.